Welcome to the Unblocking Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of rambling wrecks. Alrighty, welcome back to episode number 57 of, of Unblocking Crypto. Another exciting week in crypto. So let's uh, jump into it, Hal. Welcome back. All right, sounds good. So I know we've talked, or I've talked about eBay in the past, but it's been a while. eBay had acquired an NFT marketplace back in June of last year, known origin, and no one really knows what the amount was that they paid for it, but everybody's been kind of waiting to see how eBay is going to get into this crypto space. They just filed a patent that would secure shipping info on the blockchain, which is really interesting, and not so much because of the shipping piece and... I think there's a lot of benefit to where if you could do this, it's going to eliminate the addresses. So with with eBay, certain people wouldn't know your address. So you could do it all and keep a little bit of an anonymity. But the really cool part about this is based on the way this patent is filed, it could be used for a lot of other applications and things like decentralized data storage, immutable contracts, smart contracts. Uh, between the buyers and the sellers, of course, but it, it a lot of question marks on how eBay could become a very big piece into blockchain and, and crypto as well if this thing goes through. So kind of exciting to see where that's going to go, but it's still early on, right? Patents take a little while to go through. Yeah, but that that's good in my head, right? Because eBay kind of made a charge out of the gates with the internet, right? Like they were kind of one of the first marketplaces. They kind of were a, like a pioneer type. And then they kind of got overtaken by Amazon as Amazon was selling new products. And, and eBay kind of got this secondhand flea market-y feel to it. And they also haven't really updated their look and feel at all since the early 2000s. And so for eBay to have a little bit of that pioneering, innovative ideas of all right, let's have, see how we can use this blockchain to improve our platform. That's that's probably good news because Amazon, when you're number one, right, you're not motivated to try a bunch of new stuff to try to improve your position. But when you're you're trying to disrupt the the, the market leader, you can try different things. So you know everybody wants to talk about use cases and blockchain and you know what, what are the real world impacts. And so I'd like to see I'd like to see some major companies start using them. And I mean, maybe that's a pretty good fit for eBay. Yeah, to me, it's I hope eBay doesn't go the way of BlackBerry, right, where they had this huge lead in the space and then kind of just decided we're going to do our own thing. And and it looks like they're trying to become different. I mean, Amazon, shoot, Amazon's about to release some NFTs or possibly release some NFTs too, right? So it's not like they aren't trying as well, but eBay needs to make some sort of move to get back into one of the premier tech companies if if they're ever going to do that. So I know last week we talked a little bit about Polygon and how they renamed their their whole name to like Polygon Gaming, but I did see a stat that in the past Polygon has really had a majority of their revenue come through the DeFi sector section, and and DeFi has been a big narrative, especially in the past year or two that's been talked about. But Polygon's largest income stream right now is gaming at, at about a third of their revenue, so it is kind of interesting to see how gaming is starting to take over a lot of these layer twos i know we've i've talked about gaming being a big theme and a big way to onboard a lot of new people into crypto so that's starting to happen and it'll be exciting to see if that continues to progress throughout the rest of this year 
or if something else changes that in the near future. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to say on like crypto gaming <laughs> stuff. Uh, I'll uh, I'll let you take the lead on that. Yeah, well, shoot, I, I don't do much of it, but it, it's interesting. Just the gaming market in general is so large. If you can take that and put some of it onto blockchain and crypto in general, then it, it should open up a lot of doors for sure. Yeah, well, as a Little League baseball coach, I can tell you that gaming is is big. The amount of kids that aren't competent at sports right now is shocking. And like I was telling, I was actually telling my friend yesterday, it's like it's taken the middle kids and they get and they they go to video games. So like your top end performers are still playing the sports and they're still really into it. But it's taken it's taken your average player and made them way below average because they're just not spending the time playing sports like they were when when we were growing up and there was just uh 8-bit nintendo or you know games that were like impossible to to beat and play and they haven't really hacked the the dopamine algorithm to keep kids hooked on games all day so yeah man gaming's i think gaming's big is going to keep getting bigger well i mean i hope it probably didn't help where you couldn't actually see anybody and you were just stuck at your home and how was she going to keep occupied other than hey okay go play this game i mean hand-eye coordination isn't a bad thing i just don't think it's the that's the best way to do it at all times right yeah 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 you gotta you gotta move around and so I, i've got opinions on that but uh, it is a battle that is you're not gonna win the, yeah. the video games are so good at at capturing kids attention and people's attention and it's happening earlier and earlier so people are kind of just getting hooked into it and that's kind of who they are like oh i'm a gamer or oh I, you know i play video games it's like it sucks up a ton of time and the more time people spend in front of these you start doing rewards based systems that instead of just in-game stars or coins or whatever you're talking about tokens that you could port over to a different game i could see how kids kids i could see how kids and adults would be all over that yeah i don't think this is just a kids thing i mean there she my wife is addicted to candy crush or whatever game she plays on her phone nonstop. right so i mean it's it's adults in general and social media is using a lot of the same algorithms to get you addicted to using social media as, as you are games so yeah it, it'll continue to be a, a very important theme and if we can leverage that in, in other things as well, then shoot, I'm trying to do that with my own kids. Right? How, <laughs> how do I create a gaming atmosphere for uh, trips around the country, like keeping them occupied? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm in the same boat with Mike. It's like, how do you gamify homework? How do you exactly. gamify yep. getting your getting yourself ready for school the next day, you know, exactly. the night before and, and things like that? Like, our, that, It's just how kids it's just an easier way for things to work because I feel like that's just how they're exposed to everything now. Even like uh, some of those online educational stuff, Khan's Academy and things like that, you know, they kind of gamified it so that there's level ups and rewards based yep. systems and things like that. I'm kind of surprised social media platforms haven't gone to that where you get points for likes and, sh and reshares and things like that, which I guess Reddit does it like that. I'm not big on social media. I don't think Facebook has a, a scoring system like that though uh, yeah. i don't believe twitter has a scoring system like that i think reddit does though but i'm kind of surprised they haven't moved to that to kind of promote people to post things that will be shared and liked yeah um, i think web3 is definitely integrating a lot of that into their social app atmosphere as well yeah. so i know probably the, the biggest news or at least the 
thing that scared the most people this past week was the announcement of Silvergate. And for those of you that aren't aware, Silvergate has probably become one of the biggest institutional on-ramps into crypto. So they had partnered with all the biggest exchanges and they recently came out and said they were going to delay their financial reporting so they could work on a 10K, which has everybody worried that this last FTX contagion has affected them and they could be failing possibly or going into bankruptcy. Kind of a lot is still to be determined. They did have pretty much the who's who's list of exchanges are dealing with them. Almost all of them have come out and said that they're not going to be affected if something does happen with Silvergate. I think uh, Binance and Kraken were the only two that said no comment and that they it wasn't they didn't say one way or the other. But even if you look at uh, MicroStrategy, I think it is, they have a huge loan with Silvergate outstanding. Right. And they said, even if Silvergate goes into a, a bad perspective, they don't owe that loan until like 2025. So they don't plan on repaying it early. It, it did affect the markets and, and Bitcoin quite a bit, quite a bit, 5%, something like that. So there, there is a lot of worry, but there's still just not a lot known. So it was just the latest, here's why, why crypto is going to fail type news. And, right. Be scared. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be curious to see what happens because in my head, Silvergate is they're they're kind of straddling the traditional finance world and the crypto finance or or DeFi and this modern finance world. And so they're playing by all of the regulated banking rules, as far as I can tell, which should have them more protected in you know in these huge leveraged loan situations so i i'd, I'd be curious to see how this goes because yeah i mean if if silvergate is another domino to fall off of this ust luna ftx collapse stuff i mean that's got to be about the end of the road for the, the like the money trail that it, it can't keep going and i'd be interested to see i mean banks can stay alive a long time on fake money so like maybe they've they've got that going for them so I don't know. I'd be curious to see how, how that turns out. Yeah, it's still early. So we'll kind of see what happens, but it'll probably start to unfold over the next few weeks for sure. The other thing that was pretty interesting, and I, I know you're kind of only focused on Bitcoin, but one of the other blockchains that I have paid attention to in the past is Hedera Hashgraph. And they just got Brian Brooks to sign on with them. I'm not sure if he's an advisor or what he's doing, to be honest with you. But if you don't remember Brian Brooks, he was part of the the U.S. government's financial arm at one point, and he left government and went over to Coinbase. And he actually helped Coinbase kind of get through all the regulatory regulatory issues involved in becoming a an exchange and doing everything properly. And so far, they're doing a pretty good job, all things considered, compared to everybody else having a bunch of issues. But it it will be kind of interesting to see what happens with this now hydera they're about to have a huge unlock i think like six percent of their tokens are going to be unlocked here pretty soon which is like three billion i know we we've talked about power but they use some of the smallest power footprint in all the blockchains out there so i don't know if this is kind of another one of those pushes for it does the usage of power affect which blockchains people are going to push moving forward who knows right but yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see. I mean, it's a it's a big name going to a coin that shoot. You know, I mean, they're still one of the top thirty coins out there, so it's not like they're nobody. It's exciting to see stuff like that happen. 
So the SEC was in the news quite a bit too. The first thing that I saw, and maybe just because it's frustrating for me since I have stuff on Voyager, is <laughs> SEC trying to prevent the whole Voyager deal being acquired by Binance. Of course, questioning whether or not this makes sense, and they don't want, they still have not been able to determine whether Voyager's token, the VGX token, is a security or not, but they want the ability to come back and go after Voyager in the, in the future, whether or not this goes through to Binance.us or not. So we're back to the same story where the SEC can't really make up their mind on anything and what to do, but they just want to prevent anything from actually happening in this space too. Yeah, I think I just saw a tweet this morning that was indicating that uh, that Voyager acquisition by Binance was looking like it might actually be able to happen. Yeah, I didn't. There wasn't like a Bloomberg article linked or anything like that, but it was kind of indicative of things were leaning that way. On a similar note. The SEC and Grayscale, that, that lawsuit's coming through. So there's oral arguments right now uh, in front of the judges for this case. That Grayscale wants the GBTC trust to become an ETF. Uh, they applied for an ETF approval and the SEC did not approve it. So they filed a lawsuit that day to, uh, to get that started. The news coming out was that the judges were very critical of the sec's position so the sec's position is that bitcoin is as an as an underlying asset to the etf there's it's too manipulatable uh there's not enough investor security that they're not gonna there's not gonna be fraud or or investors aren't gonna be taken advantage of so they don't want an etf the judges pointed out and and grayscale's point is the the sec has approved ETFs for Bitcoin futures ETFs. And so that's where the judges were very critical about like if the Bitcoin as an underlying asset is 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 the problem with this ETF, then Bitcoin futures should should not be allowed either because their underlying asset is the the Bitcoin spot price. So that gets the whole conversation about what happens if GBTC becomes an ETF. And right now there's like a 40% discount on GBTC. So essentially, if they're holding a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin, their market cap's only 600 million. So there's, there's, a, there's a concern that the day that this is approved, that GBTC flips over to be an ETF, there's a 40% discount. They have to sell, the, but based on it. So the GBTC as a trust, they have rules. We're going to hold this much Bitcoin. Every year, we're going to use 2% of that Bitcoin. We're going to sell it off to pay the management fees for managing the trust. And then basically, when you buy shares, you're buying shares of the trust. When it goes to an ETF, now the ETF has to buy and sell the underlying asset in order to keep up with the market price. So the, the net asset value has to equal the market price of the underlying asset. So what would happen is if you just flipped a switch today and GBTC became an ETF, they'd have to sell 40% of their 650,000 Bitcoin that they have. So, you know, you're talking about a couple hundred thousand Bitcoin hitting the market at once, which would be bad. However, we're talking about judges and a legal process and the SEC, you know, like there is no, hey, this one day it's going to flip. So to me, there's an arbitrage play that a lot of people are going to get sucked into and a lot of, a lot of, of financial players that have kind of big funds there's an arbitrage play that says, hey, look, there's a chance that this becomes an ETF if it does. 
then they're going to sell off the Bitcoin to, to equalize things. So they're going to start buying GBTC at a 40% discount, and that's going to drive the discount down to 35, 30, 25, 20, 20, 15. You know, that, that going to decrease as the percent chance of GBTC becoming an ETF increases. So to me, I'm not really concerned about a couple hundred thousand Bitcoin hitting the market at once, because if that's how the world works, people would just camp out and, and wait. And you just, you know, wait until you that happens to buy Bitcoin because the Bitcoin price is going to plummet. Well, everybody knows that. So it's not perfect information, but like it's pretty close. You kind of know what's going to happen. So there's a play there where you buy the GBDC and then you short Bitcoin and you're covered. So to me, you're going to have a spot Bitcoin ETF eventually in the United States. Other countries have done it. We have Bitcoin futures ETFs. It doesn't make any sense why we don't. So it will happen. This is probably a really good chance that it happens this way. I think I read something, I guess it's based on futures contracts or whatever. It was like a 60% chance that the SEC was going to win on Monday. And now it's a 70% chance that Grayscale is going to win Tuesday night. So so there's a big kind of, that that sentiment from the judges really kind of tipped the scales in um, in Grayscale's favor. Who knows what tomorrow brings, you know, and this is still, this is March now. This is still like a fall 2023 kind of time frame for, for this thing to come down. Well, I think this one has three judges, two are Democrats and one's a Republican. So they kind of always thought the Republican would side with Grayscale and the Democrats would probably side with the SEC. And that doesn't seem to be the case at all. And I, I think the, the crazy part about this, this isn't the first time they filed this to happen, right? I mean, this is probably what, fourth or fifth time? At this right. point, because the SEC keeps saying no, and finally, uh, Grace Co just said, "All right, we're going to sue you about this because there, there's no reason why you shouldn't do this." Correct. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's exciting. So I, I mean, I hope something good will come out of it. But to your point, it's it's not going to be overnight by any means, right? This is a long term thing. Just anything that involves government regulation of any sort, it's going to take a while. Takes a while. Yeah. Saying on the government side of things, I did listen to Cynthia Loomis in a crypto and the environment's uh, congressional hearing, do a pretty good job uh, defending proof of work and the energy requirements to mine Bitcoin in a, against this environmentalist position. And she, she said all the right things, you know, like pointed out that these Bitcoin miners, they're not creating pollution, right? They're essentially just using electricity and, and mining Bitcoin. So, whatever is generating that electricity is your, you know, is emitting pollution. So if that electricity, if you put a Bitcoin miner next to uh, some superchargers for Teslas, are the Bitcoin miners terrible for the environment and the Tesla chargers great for the environment, even though the power source is coming from the same combination of coal, natural gas, solar, wind, whatever. So it's, you know, pointing out like, hey, it's not the Congress's job to decide what's the moral use of electricity. She because of the way the Congress works, they get like five minutes to ask questions. So it's like a terrible way to to go into nuance and, and explain something that's complicated like this. But she did it. She did a pretty decent job of making some good points. And so, again, there's some people that are representing people in Wyoming, Texas, Florida, some other states where they're starting to learn about Bitcoin, starting to understand Bitcoin and starting to understand the arguments. And then they're up against people like Elizabeth Warren, who is doing no research, doesn't understand anything, parrots whatever her her staff tells her to say, and 
is on the way out. My thesis of time is favorable to Bitcoin because the older people are going to retire or or move on, and younger people that have an interest in in understanding innovative technology and what's next, they're going to be moving into those spots. I, I I still think that thesis holds. Older people are not doing the work to figure out Bitcoin, and and honestly, Cynthia Lumis, I don't know how old she is. She's not she's not a young person, but she's pretty good at understanding how how everything works. So it's good to see some people in government on the side of understanding things instead of just uh yeah i heard this is bad for the environment so i'm gonna be against it yeah that kind of ties in a little bit to uh jack dorsey's announcement from square that they are releasing a bitcoin mining development kit type thing have you heard about this i have not last i heard about uh jack dorsey and square they were working on a like a three-party wallet solution so i know that they're i know that he's i mean he turned them into block and now they're really focused on Bitcoin and, and other yeah, technology. So I should have said block instead of square. Yes. But so Jack Dorsey's company is has just released some details on a Bitcoin mining product that'll have like four different parts, part of which is like a hashboard that will allow you to have some interface or development interface on what you want to do with that, that hashboard. So the goal being to open up the doors of what's possible to do with Bitcoin mining. And then we've talked in the past where if you have natural gas, it's just exhausting out. Why not turn that into energy and have that run a Bitcoin miner, right? So I think it'll be interesting to see what some of these creative ideas come from, from this. And, and I think that's what they're trying to push is, all right, take a miner, what can you do and, and use it for to actually make it smart or or valuable or for other ways? Yeah, it'd be fun to see. Yeah, I mean, that's to me, that's kind of, the stage we're in in the in the bitcoin cycle is this is like the slow boring prices doing nothing fancy so people can actually like stop watching charts and start building useful applications and building companies that make sense that fill needs instead of like what's bitcoin what's my bitcoin worth today i mean it's it's you can tell it's a distraction so so that's cool last week we talked about uh ordinals and i was like i'll i'll look into the inscriptions and so Here's here's my summary of of the inscriptions that are um, that are starting to kind of clog up the blocks uh, in Bitcoin and uh, and drive up transaction costs. So essentially, the inscriptions when they increase uh, there's there's kind of two sides to this. When they increase the ability to for the block sizes, it's not for Bitcoin transactions. It's still one megabyte blocks, but in order to do things smart contracts, multi-sig, things like that. They they do allow for the other parts of the transaction to have more uh, code in in there so that they can be a little bit more user-friendly, scalable, increase adoption, things like that. So what that allows for is people to write code that's not active code, but represents uh, a JPEG or something else. So you kind of hide that code in the transaction data and then you can tag that transaction with those sats or that sat with that code so that you can essentially make that sat tied to a jpeg image of a rock or a monkey or whatever i got into it a little bit the 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 data side like the code side of bitcoin is my least favorite part i just can't get into it like the the witness script and all of the the, the kind of the just the nerdy computer science side of it. 
I just can't get into it. But I got deep enough to think, all right, if this destroys Bitcoin, if if JPEG code in the basically in the comments of of a transaction, if this destroys Bitcoin, Bitcoin never had a chance anyway. It's just it's if it brings it down, we are wrong about everything. And it, and it took 13 years to get there or 14 years to get there. So I'm, I kind of got to the point where like this seems like a goofy use of low transaction fees because when transaction fees are are ramped up and everybody and a lot of people are transacting in bitcoin and uh it's costing you a lot to to put a transaction on the base layer blockchain they're not going to spend the money to have these big code intensive transactions and eat up the blocks so i don't think this is a i think this is kind of a short-term thing it's kind of a beanie baby crypto kitty flash in the pan kind of thing i don't think people really value it it's one of those kind of fun things you, you can do so the coders do it but i don't think it sticks i don't think it's i don't think it's a, a big deal i don't think anybody will pay the money that it takes to do the transactions when when the transaction fees are high so if you want to find out about inscriptions there's like a ton of stuff you can read about it i would not have, it feels like there's like a uh just a stupid gift that somebody made they paid a hundred thousand dollars in transaction fees they sold it for a bitcoin it's worth 50 bitcoin it's not going to be worth 50 bitcoin anymore in a year it's it's just not so i, I understand it it's kind of neat it's one of those funky things you can do with bitcoin but it's not it's not something that if you're serious about bitcoin being um adopted by countries as legal tender th this doesn't impact that like this is this is just a goofy side gig it's like trying to integrate nfts into bitcoin after the fact just to say you can do it there too right which basically says all right you want to do nfts on bitcoin create a layer two here's how you do it and then tie it back to the base layer on some other basis so that it's on the main chain but uh but yeah uh, it's it's I read enough to where I stopped reading because it just wasn't going. It, it just doesn't feel like it's going anywhere. Well, so I guess one last thing that kind of popped up and there's still a little bit left to, to figure out, but talking about regulatory issues, Charles Hoskinson, the founder of Cardano, did mention that they would start looking into the possibility of KYCing your staking, which today, if you want to stake Cardano, you just go request to stake it at the stake pool and you you send a i think it's a stake request to there and it automatically takes care of it and they all you're doing is delegating your, your voting rights what they're doing now because of this staking possibility of being a security what the sec has said a couple of weeks ago is that there would be an, a change to where the stake pool operator would have to approve that staking request and so that would be kind of a kyc ish type way of getting around staking being a security so there's a lot more to come out of that but i don't think that's made a lot of people happy <laughs> yeah i think the kyc part is the battle where like your hardcore crypto libertarian types are gonna hold fast and not want to give up their non-kyc crypto and in order to get mass adoption and play by the rules and get more people and get institutions involved you got to play by the rule, which the United States government's not going to give up on KYC from a money laundering. They already have the excuses built in for money laundering and nefarious use. So I, I, I think crypto, some crypto tokens and organizations just have to decide if they fight that battle and never get big and, and just constantly remain as non-KYC compliant as possible. But you're not going to get 
you're not going to, you're only going to get more libertarian and crypto people to buy your token. And when you, or you go and you KYC compliant and now, okay, fine. You can get a lot more people to, to buy your token. I think that's a decision that's going to have to be made. As we talked about before, it's going to take a while. So it's not going to be something that happens overnight, but it's still exciting just to see everything that's happening, right? It, it's moving so fast and at the same time moving so slow. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But it is nice that Bitcoin's off of 16 and back up into the 20s and kind of seems like it's holding pretty firm there. So that's, uh, you know, that's something. But uh, we got to be like six months of boring price action at least, right? This is March. We're in it. Yep. But I mean, it's, even when talking with other people, there's still a lot of people that are starting to get more engaged in crypto, right? That maybe had dipped their toe in before and are starting to dip even more in, right? Even with this this downturn, it's becoming more and more interesting the more they actually spend the time and read. So uh, it'll be exciting to see what happens moving forward. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's even though it's the most boring time and to, to be interested in crypto and Bitcoin, there's still something to talk about every week. Awesome. Well, Hal, thanks as always for joining, and we will catch up again next week with the latest news from the crypto space. Right. Appreciate it, Jay. Thanks for journeying down the crypto rabbit hole with us. If you're interested in learning more about crypto, please join our private Facebook group, Unblocking Crypto. It's a small community discussing new ideas and just asking questions to learn more. Hope to interact with you there.